Welcome to the Background Noise Podcast, where this week we are taking a break from our Spooky Month Jamboree. Um, I'm your host, Jack. I'm Joe. I'm Joseph. And this week the topic is Desert Power. That's right. This week we are talking about Denis Villeneuve's newest film, Dune, Part 1. And this week, uh, we mentioned a little bit about the end of the episode last week, but we decided to bring in a special guest, a local Dune expert, if you will. A local Mintat. That's right. Uh, he's a mutual friend to uh, the three of us on the podcast and someone I've had the misfortune of knowing since high school. Uh, Sam Page, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining. Um, so to start out, if you could actually just talk about your introduction to Dune, your experience with it leading up to this film. Absolutely. I, I feel that uh, claims to my knowledge of Dune have been greatly exaggerated, but uh, no. So uh, so I came to Dune, uh, I think through the book, I think was the first way that I I experienced it. It was it was the audiobook because I I struggle to read dense novels. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, audiobook for sure. Um, really fell in love with this fantastic hybrid of science fiction and fantasy. Um, really bridges the gap between those, uh, which led me to discover more books. You know, I've read now almost all of the the original six. Um, working through the last one, um, I've seen the 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 original, original quote unquote, uh, David Lynch Dune from 1984 uh, multiple times. I will claim that badge of uh, dishonor. Um, but uh, fantastic property. Really was really excited to to get into this. Deeply disappointed by the year long delay. Um, and just really, ex- really excited for this movie. Awesome. I think. Uh, yeah, uh, go for it, Joe. Well, of, of, of the four of us, well, of the three of us who are regulars on the podcast, I have the most experience, obviously less experience than our esteemed, honored guest, knowledgeable he is. As he is. <laughs> um, I think I basically, there were other people that I listened to on YouTube or on podcasts who referenced Dune as being this really big sci-fi, like really popular big sci-fi property and as it being a kind of hybrid fantasy sci-fi thing where it's technically, you know, it's got this Star Wars-y, Star Trek-iness of you're going to different planets and you have to deal with a galactic empire, kind of actually a universal empire in this particular uh, situation. Um, but it feels much more fantasy-like because everyone's fighting with swords and they they deal with prophecies and things like that, which is very much more of a fantasy kind of genre trope. Um, So I I finally read the book. I read the first... I I have read Dune, the first book, um, and I actually read it because... I maybe I don't know maybe I hate myself more than you you, you do Sam because I was able to read <laughs> that dense piece of literature. Look at uh, this guy, he can read. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I got I got two eyes and everything. I can actually read stuff. Um, so I re- read the first book probably f- sometime last year is when I finished it, um, and plan to read the rest of them. 
I, I was kind of wanting to read the rest of them. And then after seeing this movie, and I've, I've only seen uh, this newest movie, which is part one. Um, I haven't, didn't see the old, what, 1980, whatever. 84. Uh, 1984 movie. But having seen this one, I'm like, yeah, okay, I, w- I want to know more about this world. So I'm going to go back and read the rest of them eventually. Nice. Uh, I definitely have far less experience than uh, both you and Sam on this, Joe. But uh, I had heard of Dune probably for years. Just the name, you know, it's usually associated with other classic pieces of science fiction literature, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, stuff like that. And when I heard there was a film coming out, uh, I think I heard it through like a YouTuber I like. He had said it was like one of the ones he was most looking forward to a lot of the YouTubers I like for film reviews and all that ranked it very high on their list for films they were looking forward to. And I mean, it sounded good. I didn't, the director, Denis Villeneuve, I've seen a couple of his films before. I think I'd seen Prisoners, which while a well-told story would not recommend, was a bit disturbing, um, not really worth it. And then Arrival, I thought was kind of meh. So I, he's, he's, done very well with his films like he's a director who i've heard a lot of good things about and so um this looked promising and so at this point i've picked up the audiobook the intention of listening to it i've borrowed the book with the intention of reading it so progress but um going into this movie i had very little knowledge except for very basic information that you'd probably read on the back of a dvd so um but yeah, we'll get into my thoughts on the film later. But uh, yeah, very limited knowledge going into it. So. You, you knew there was a big planet that was covered in sand and they were giant worms? Basically, yeah. A and pl- that sand was really important. A planet covered in, in dunes? Nah. It's almost what? where the planet gets its nickname from. Are there dunes in that know. movie? I, I'm, I'm not following. Yeah, it's, that's a yeah, bit too much for me. Much like David Lynch's film, a lot of stuff's going over my and well, not really going over my head. It's just really my big experiences were I can't remember when I watched it, but you know, as a general fan of the eighties, it's like, oh yeah, Dune. What is it? You you gotta watch that. And it's like, oh, well that's cool. And at the time I didn't know I wasn't familiar with uh David Lynch's particular style. So it was like, what the, this is the closest thing I'm going to get to a drug trip, isn't it? <laughs> so needless to say, my introduction to Dune was very much, uh, what is it? Push into the pool and, you know, was it trial by fire? I haven't read the books. I feel bad because, you know, I got, I've been trying to get back into reading. Might, you know, try to ease in through audiobooks like, uh, what is it? Sam did, but I want to read it. And, well, I gotta say, if, if this, uh, what is it, this latest movie is any, like, indication of the quality of the book, which I'm sure it is, then I am missing out, because I really loved, I really loved this, you know, this movie. It was, it was a lot of, I mean, I say a lot of fun. It's not like, it's not like fun, like Venom Let There Be Carnage is fun. It's like an actual competent and competent movie that looks beautiful and you can tell there's a lot of there's a lot of skill and talent put behind it and because of that you can enjoy it 
course, I've already gotten into, you know, the thoughts on the film, but really that film is the only thing I have with Dune and that the, uh, you know, acid trip that is the 84 one. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm definitely pretty similar with you, Joseph, where it's like, I mean, you still have one up on me with the 84, well, I don't know, maybe one below me with the 84 mm-hmm. film. That's probably, that's probably against you having seen that. But they're um, very the, the two are very different. Yes, I think I think having seen the '84 Dune, not read the book, and still wanting to see this probably speaks very highly to how much, like how much you could see in the concept. Oh yeah, because that movie is <laughs> wow, interesting. I hope you're not friends with the person who told you to watch it. Still, let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, it was the internet, so unfortunately, I'm still friends with him. Oh. Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to not be friends with the internet at this point, but you don't really have a choice anymore. Yeah. Well, before we uh, get dive into the movie, uh, we're not even going to bother trying to do spoiler-free and spoiler-heavy reviews. We're just going to pretty much just go all over the place. So if you have not seen it yet, definitely, we're just going to say it now, it was great. Definitely worth a watch, so go watch it. Um, preferably in theaters just to support the film but if you can't it's on HBO Max and then come back and listen to the episode and uh, listen to us ramble about this for 45 minutes so watch it watch it right now yeah there you go we say we say go and watch it and like bring the podcast with you no don't even leave now find the nearest showing and then afterwards buy all the merchandise if there is yeah and then listen to our podcast on the way back from buying the merch there you go or you can pull a Joseph and listen and watch the movie while listening to the podcast at the same time, just like he watches the movies that we're talking about while recording the podcast. You watch the last 10 minutes of uh, a Disney movie about witches once. Listen, Sam, if you ever come back, just know whatever you do now will always be written down and never forgotten, especially if you don't watch a movie until the day you record the podcast anyway <laughs> noted <laughs> all right well i guess we can just jump into it um spoiler sound there we go is that, is that the spoiler sound effect i don't know jack that's 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 your call i guess it is now okay <laughs> uh i will first i just want to give a shout out to film news directing of this film it just he particularly when it comes to filming scope i thought like um even though i didn't necessarily love arrival when you compare how the humans look in comparison to the giant alien ship that they're all trying to go on there he's very good with scale and um when you see them in dune running from the sandworm it just it looks so good it looks um just so real and so he was very good. I mean, even uh, when you have Josh Brolin, the general character, and the rest of them running as all the ships are exploding, they look like real ships exploding, and they look like really tiny compared to the ships. It, like comparison, he's very good at filming that. And I definitely think that was highlighted here with both things like um, the sandworms and um, some of the different uh, fight scenes and uh, explosions on set. Yeah, there's a, there's one scene in particular that really shows it off, where like the where Paul and his mom have have are because of because of reasons in the movie they're they're running across the sand dune and they end up being 
sort of chased by a worm and they get onto rocks where the worms can't get to them and you watch the worm like rear up out of the sand and the mouth opens up and it's the the, the first thing that i think of that's most comparable is i think of like in the um in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie when the Kraken rears up and takes the ship, except it's a hundred times better than that easily. Like you you actually believe that this is a 400 meter long worm that is uh, was very annoyed that it didn't get to eat these humans that it was chasing. With the with the like bristle teeth fang thingies. Terrifying. Itself. Yeah, it's terrifying and awesome in the best way. Very good at displaying, was it Villeneuve? It's just since this is essentially a space Shakespearean tragedy, he does a very good job of capturing helplessness. You know, going up against a giant worm, all you can do is run. You know, you're under attack and you can't possibly defend yourselves. You know, it's it's all crazy. And then, uh, just great with suspense too. I mean, they go hand in hand those two things, but. Mm-hmm. The one that sticks out for me in particular, and it's kind of might be not, not one that immediately springs to mind, is like uh, when Paul and Jessica are trying to escape the, uh, like the ecological facility or whatever it was. They're trying to get away from the, I'm just going to call them Sakarans because I can't remember their real name. But, you know, the, the elite soldiers or whatever, it's just, it keeps cutting back to like that, that dark opening, like, you know, cutting back to they're not able to start the they're not able to start the ship and it just keeps cutting back to that you know opening Mm. the really big one is like you know it also helps that they're in the white armor so it's just like you're you're keeping your eyes out for anything anything happening and it's just there's just a little snippet of just i I don't know competence yeah i I thought i mean the same there's kind of the same moment when um when Paul and Jessica have been captured by the Harkonnen soldiers and they're in, they're being flown out in the desert to they, because, because of, because of reason, because of shenanigans, the Harkonnens can't just kill them because if they just kill them, then it causes problem political problems. So they're going to fly them out in the desert and then just drop them off and let the desert kill them. But like that scene going by some jigsaw logic there. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. Because it's not it's not murder. If you if you drop someone in the middle of the desert and leave them there without any food or water and giant sandworms that'll eat them if they move, that's not murder. That's just getting rid of bodies. You that's know? just good politics. Yeah. It's, it's, it's well, PvE, not PvP. PvE, yes. <laughs> if I push you into the into the environmental hazard, then the environmental hazard killed you instead of me killing you. Uh, but but that scene where they're in that thopter and like Paul knows that in theory maybe he would be able to stop these people, but he's not sure if he can do it. And and, and like Jessica's there, she definitely could stop them if the if he wasn't gagged because she has mind control powers with the voice. Um, that's essentially what the voice is is, is mind control. Uh, and there's like we know that everyone in this position has the tools to get out of this alive, but are they going to actually be able to do it in time before they get killed? Very, very well done. Even though, even though you know that they're not going to die there, again, like it's well done as a suspense thing. You don't know if they're not going to die, but you don't know if they're not going to how how intact they're going to be once they get out. That's, yeah, that's fair. 
Speaking of The Voice, Joe, um, something that I thought this film did a very good job with was, I mean, just coming into it as somebody who had not read Dune and knew little to nothing about it, the visual storytelling of it, the way that through the different scenes, they were able to explain thing, how things work like The Voice without doing a bunch of, you know, um, just exp- exposition dumps, basically. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I mean, I think that's probably why the film is doing so well, because I guarantee you there's no way all those people have read Dune. I think uh, there's probably a decent amount of people who have gone in just to watch the film. And because they maybe not at first, like at first it was maybe a little confusing, but because he was able to convey the important elements of the story well, um, it worked and people were able to understand it even if they hadn't read the book. And so I think uh, he did a very good job with that, especially mm-hmm. to, to piggyback off that. One of the coolest things in this movie, um, just aside from the fact that it, it is really, a, a, if not line for line, a spiritually faithful retelling of the story of the first half of the book. Um, just the fact that, lost my train of thought (laughs) the um i really have lost my train of thought oh somebody's gagged him he can't use the voice (laughs) uh the fact that the in the book you start off knowing almost nothing uh herbert doesn't start off with with exposition he doesn't do a, a lot of explanation uh, I mean, you get little little tidbits at the beginning of the chapters that kind of almost give away what's going to happen. Um, but for the most part, you're brought completely blindfolded into this world that he then kind of strings you along, feeding you just enough information to introduce the new concepts a little at a time. It's not this... Mm-hmm massive dump of new science fiction concepts or new fantasy concepts and i like the fact that the movie um and and in comparison to lynch's version uh which which is is i mean 80s exposition voiceover for like inner thoughts like shows its hand immediately uh this movie kind of captures that um that quality of the book um where it leads you in it it introduces a a few things at a time it doesn't try to give you all of this at once and exhaust you in the first 20 minutes of the movie which which is really cool um and it shows uh a familiarity with the 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 written work um that's really cool to see you don't see very often in in film adaptation yeah yeah man it's really cool um what are you gonna say I was gonna say, like, there's there's so many scenes I can think of where where they where they do seamlessly not not even like the magic or sci-fi-ness of it, you know, because there's the scene where um, Paul and his mom are eating breakfast. That's like the first or second scene I feel like in the in, in the movie, and they you know, they they teach you the voice, and you get the understanding that Paul and Jessica are both somewhat unusual because they can do this thing. But there's also this the the casual way that oh you you need to report in full dress for this thing, and then Paul asks is it military or ceremonial and and the way that that plays out 
sounds normal conversational, but it also is telling you, the viewer, that, hey, Paul isn't just a, not only is he like magically not normal person, but he's also a unusual individual within the society, societal hierarchy. The fact that he has to report to his father and they're going to be presented in this, in some kind of ceremonial fashion for some kind of event that's coming up. All like, those are th- obviously as a person who understands what's going on, I don't need that, but it is very naturally done in the movie in a yeah. way that makes sense. Yeah, just from what I, again, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, just from seeing the film, it didn't seem like he tried to dumb it down for the audience. It seemed like he was trying to present the story. It seemed like someone who loved the story and actually read the story, unlike David Lynch, <laughs> and um, was trying to present his best version and really capture the heart of Dune in a film and present it it to a way to best capture the story. And I feel like that worked very well. And I think a lot of the audience was still able to catch on whether they read the book or not. It, I I just, yeah, goes back to how well the story I think was told, even though it's only half a story. Yeah. So, I think that this movie proves that audiences aren't as stupid as a lot of directors and scriptwriters think they are. And if you write a movie and direct a movie, assuming your audience is has an intelligence that's higher than the wattage of the average light bulb, they can still follow the movie and be and understand what's going on. That that was my biggest fear going into this movie. Yeah. Again, because of Lynch's rendition. And even before that, uh, Hodorowski's pitch, the original Dune that later became Lynch's Dune, um, both from men who had not read the book and had real no real source, like respect for the source material. Um, my greatest fear, especially especially in the wake of um, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, is that in order to make a a Hollywood blockbuster. They're going to strip out all of the philosophy, all of the nuance, all of the uh, things that make the property unique in order to make sure that as many people as possible um, don't get lost along the way and they can make as much money. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, And so it was really, really exciting. It's, It's why, it's why I watched it at home on HBO max, like a loser. Uh, because I didn't want to be disappointed in the theater um, and have no place to go other than out. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty good movie, but I mean, this guy just like screamed and threw up his hands and ran out of the theater. It was, it was weird. <laughs> I think uh, transitioning from more of like the directing to the cast and like the acting before we go into like specific performances from those who actually read the book, watching these portrayals were any of them like what you imagined the characters being like in the book? Were they super different? What were your thoughts there? Which is the better Paul, Sam? I, I have to say I was originally skeptical when they announced Timothy Chalamet as as Paul, I'm like, mm, it ah, ah, popular actor, ah. But actually, having seen, honestly, even all of the main cast, having seen the movie now, I can say for sure they nailed it with the casting. 
the the main cast, the backup cast, like the supporting characters. I I have no complaints about the casting except for one thing, which I'll be happy to go into now if you want. Before you do, I realize now <laughs> I've it's been it's been kind of a long day at work. I what is it? I said that Oscar Isaacs was what is it? Patrick Stewart's character. It was uh, what is it? Josh Brolin. I meant because he's 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 a gurney, right? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Sorry. It's been but either way. Uh, two really good ones in and, the in the new one in the old one. Hard to compare. And that's actually that's a great segue because that's the character I want to complain about. Ooh. Um, because in the novel, uh, Gurney Halleck is he's a musician. He's a fighter. He um, he he's full of uh, quotations and poetry, mm. um, but he can also kill a man by barely moving um a true renaissance man a true renaissance man yeah. uh, and and that's unfortunately i think really lost in brolin's portrayal he's not mm. that much of a main character in in the first part of okay. the the book um he he has some more more screen time spoilers for part two he has um some more screen time uh does he have more screen time? Anyway, I would say he does. He, if, he's... He, if I remember correctly, he gets he gets more screen time later on if, if they do that. Um, and that they lost that. There was no there's no music. He famously carries around a balisette, which is a, a nine stringed uh, musical instrument, um, which he's seen in almost every scene carrying in the book, uh, completely <laughs> missing from the movie. Um, I, I did see it, it was addressed by Villeneuve. Um, I, but I just felt like I've, the movie is two and a half hours long. You couldn't have squeezed 40 seconds of a musical reference in there. Um, I think there is exactly one time when he has like a rhyming couplet that he says. Yes. On the carrier as they're landing, he, yeah. he does have a reference. It's not an overt reference. It does not stick out in my mind the way that a lot of his overt references are to mm -hmm. even um part poetry that you or i would know or, or in some some elements uh the he quotes the bible or their version of the bible um mm -hmm. in the year 10,000 um yeah. but he's also a very comedic character um and that's not again that's josh brolin's comedy it tends to be like more of the 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 dry like the straight man for the funny character to play off of as the role that he plays in all the other movies that he's in Mm -hmm. um, and so for him to play a character who is the more uh, the initiator of the wit, as it were, um, kind of fell flat a little bit for me. But that's kind of a minor complaint. He doesn't have a lot of screen time. See, I would if I was an instrument being played by Josh Brolin, I'd be terrified of being crushed. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it's suck no. at wooden instrument. I feel like they tried to have an audition for instruments for Josh Brolin to play and they all like no instruments came to the audition because they realized Josh Brolin would be holding them. <laughs> and so they were just like, forget this. So, I mean, they tried. It was just, you know, what are you going to do? Mr. Villeneuve, so. I'm afraid we can't complete your vision. The, the casting call came unanswered. Mm. Oh, you, you mean for the role? No, no, for the instruments. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse you? 
I have to say probably my favorite uh, character um, in the film. I mean, I think they're all great. Uh, I think the only, some YouTuber I like made this comment, which I think is very funny. The only negative side to having such a stacked cast is a very weak poster because it's just all of their faces on it because you have to fit all of the <laughs> yeah. great actors on it. So it's a weak poster, but uh, all of the acting was on point. Um, I think my favorite was, I thought Jason Momoa was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I already loved him in, I never saw him in Stargate or Game of Thrones or anything like that, but um, I, um, I thought he was very good as Aquaman, so I liked him there. So I already knew I liked him as Aquaman, but seeing him in, in this, it's like, I want more Jason Momoa. I really liked him as an actor, and I thought he was very good in this, and I'd love to see more of his stuff. Uh, Oscar Isaac, again, was great. Uh, very excited to see him as Moon Knight. Man, uh, it's just everyone I thought, even Josh Brolin, who didn't have a lot of screen time and may have not necessarily been as well, as much like his character in the book as he should have been, he was still, I thought, he did a good job acting as with probably what he was given. So I thought he was good. Rebecca Ferguson is amazing. She's always amazing. She's great in Mission Possible films. Uh, what else was she in recently? Uh, Greatest Showman. Uh, yeah. She's always good. And Stellan Skarsgård was terrifying as the bad guy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I really don't have any complaints about the cast. Uh, Zendaya was probably in it less than people thought she would be. But I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge well, Zendaya fan, so I didn't really care. Technically, she was in the movie fairly frequently because every time Paul fell asleep, he she was in those scenes where he was dreaming. Fair. The yeah. girl of my dreams. Much yeah, like the rest of Teenage America. Well, yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> I mean, wow. Paul is a 15-year-old boy. I really, I really, there's a part of me, I wouldn't be faithful to the book at all, but there's a part of me where he says to his mom, I've been having dreams, and he says, but he's been dreaming about this girl. And she's like, yeah, you're a 15-year-old boy. No kidding. Of course you're dreaming about a random girl. <laughs> I'd be That's concerned. normal. I'd be concerned if you weren't. <laughs> uh, but so yeah I th but that is interesting that they put all, her a lot in the uh, trailer. trailers yeah but uh, she has a much bigger role again she has a much bigger role in the second half um, that character does because because now he's amongst the Fremen so yeah obviously he actually is do doing stuff with them now as opposed to thinking about doing stuff with them yeah, it's funny. She she plays a big role. Is like she plays a pretty big role in the film. It's just not as a character. It's as a I I don't want to say plot device for Paul, but it's like as a almost a guide and like a as a piece of kind of something that drives Paul to develop as a character, not her specifically, but again, like you said, it's her and her connection to the Fremen and all. And mm -hmm. it's you know again, it's. It's a significant role, but it's definitely not a big poster role. Kind of, kind of like Javier Bodem off in the corner. Poor right. guy. I think. I mean, the the book itself is also divided into two halves. And in the first half of the book, the main character, the main character is the Atreides family. So the the Duke, Jessica, and Paul are collectively the main character in the first half of the book, and they are collectively the main character in the first movie, and then in the second half. I mean, the dad is dead. Spoilers. Um, and, what? And Jessica's... Going out in the 
best way you can. Yeah, go, yeah which we, we, we should talk about that, but we'll, we'll circle around to that. Um, but And then Jessica also kind of steps back as Paul becomes the main character. And so the people that he makes relationships with become more important because he becomes a central character. So that, which I'm assuming is how they're going to do the second movie, assuming it gets made. But which we'll get to. Yeah, which is that's very much in keeping with how the book is, uh, where where the, the main character is those that core family unit. And I think that shows great restraint on the part of the the filmmakers here mm-hmm. to have, you know, some of these really in demand actors now, um, and then just put them in the movie enough to satisfy their part in that story up until that point you know true Uh, true. they're gonna be really important in part two um but that i feel like the temptation is often when you adapt a movie you cast all these people and then they've all got to get facetime they've all got to get screen time they've all got to get their look in they all got to get that they got to make their um their 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 top billing so that Mm -hmm. they can you know, get their, their name out there. And, and they were, they were really respectful of the story and in, in making sure that those characters didn't outshine outside of their place, mm-hmm. that, that they're yeah. going to be introduced naturally over the course of the story. Yeah. There, there I, was one thing that I noted with that. Um, and it wasn't with any characters being out of their place. It was, there is a few times where the people are walking around in their in their still suits and their water filtration suits, but they don't have the mask on and they don't even have like the, the nose tube thing on. And it's so that you can get like a glamour shot of their face and you can have cinematic shots of their faces. There's, there's a couple of times that stick out. The one that the one that sticks out the most is the very last scene when they're walking uh, to I think they're like walking to go join the main Fremen group. Um, where Paul and Jessica are walking across the sand and neither of them is wearing anything on their face and you know it's because it's the last scene and it's like, and so that's a set piece shot as opposed to a practical thing. Um, that That's a thing that stuck out to me, uh, which I guess is is fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a, th- it's a, it's a little nitpicky thing that I noticed. Hmm. Yeah, but I definitely would... Um going back off what Sam mentioned just to summarize. Yeah. I definitely don't think, I think Villeneuve did a great job at not letting the star power compromise the story and letting, you know, making sure everybody had their, you know, 10 minutes of screen time and all that. It was very much like, okay, we're putting the story first. Um, we definitely want you all to be in the film because you're all great at what you do, but you know, you're going to be doing this character and you're going to be playing this role doing this. And so I think they all did very well with that. So I think that pretty much covers the acting part of it. Before we go into negatives, if you guys have any, uh, was there anything else you really wanted to cover? I mean, there's, there's a lot. (laughs) How long do you want your podcast to be? (laughs) We are just under 40 minutes right now. (laughs) <laughs> and so we we rather not have this go under over an hour. So four to five hours. Um, <laughs> so I guess we can talk about like favorite scenes, highlights, anything that really stuck out. If you guys want to go over that, 
other than we've already gone over. I I I just want to shout out the emotional depth captured in this film. Hmm. I think they did a fantastic job from the casting, from the directing, from the framing, just the way the scenes are put together, like the big dramatic emotional scenes the happy scenes what few of them there are <laughs> extremely austere film uh the, the 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 upsetting the triumphant the the um the nobility of these characters and the when the curtains pulled aside and you see behind the the facade of royalty to the the wrestling that they have with with what is what is happening to some of them um is really cool uh excellently done absolutely just fantastic i i i felt with the characters which is a thing i find especially in more of these blockbuster science fiction movies not doing. Yep. That's fair. It's a very good summary, honestly, in terms of the impact. I mean, one of the big uh, examples of that, just to, just to kind of drill down um, because both, uh, both the mom and the dad are characters who play, like they, they play characters within their universe because because Leto is a duke and so he has to play the role of the duke he has to play that role as a um, as a high-ranking nobility but he's also a dad and you you can see that contrast in his in his personality of him having to juggle those two roles absolutely and and you see the same thing uh in Jessica and her having to deal with because because she's a member of the secret society of the Bene Gesserit and there are moments where she's she's being very calm and collected and she's being very uh she she's being the member of the secret society and then you cut to uh when her son is being tested and she's she knows that she's not allowed to be upset and she's fighting with the fact that her son is being tortured but also she's not allowed to be upset about the fact that her son's being tortured like great great example like examples of what you're talking about of you, you can feel that these characters are people that have that have roles that they have to play and are they do what they have to do and also you can feel the cost of them having to do what they have to do yeah they they really do feel real which is 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 great <laughs> yeah i think that just yeah just goes back to just the great cast the great acting they just all did such a good job with their characters they're all so believable you i mean just going back to uh you know rebecca ferguson just um how much pain she was in that paul was having to go through the that test um all that just uh their journey uh the brief time with we're with oscar isaac you can just see the love he has for paul these just Mm -hmm. characters in this world felt so real and they just did such a great job with that um relationship that paul had with duncan you just tell there's a lot of history there just Mm -hmm. every single relationship with the characters uh which is excellent it was just very convincing and i think that just uh goes to show how great of a cast they really had so 
speaking of the cast and going back to what is it, Stellan Skarsgård, it's uh, <laughs> just going back to the '84 movie and like comparing the two. It's just it's day and night again. Uh, yeah, we we can talk about the '84 movie a lot, but it's like you know, as, as you know, disgusting as like the the Baron is in that one. It's like it's almost played kind of kind of for laughs i mean of course he's this horrible person who does help bring about the you know bring about the main conflict in addition to the emperor also glad they didn't show the emperor in this one it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of good for that for that you know little mystery for part two or whatever but Stellan Skarsgård is he was he's terrifying in this one and they do a very good job of uh, was it the levitation stuff it's a lot more grounded i suppose and again it's like with the with the emperor's emperor's blades or whatever they are the sardaukar the sardaukar thank you thank you and with the sardaukar too they they make they make like the levitation not like oh i'm flying it's more like i'm propelling myself forward through sheer uh, what is it sheer will and anger <laughs> yeah and it's just he does a great job of being just really really off-putting which again it's like i guess i suppose the whole house of the hardigans is supposed mm-hmm. to be kind of like this I, I don't know what to say other than off-putting with what is it with the albino batista and you know all that and it's just like this oppressive force he's just he does a great job of course and the direction's there too and mm-hmm. i again like like how they like how they handled his, uh, what is it, his confrontation with Leto and kind of how that did. And de- definitely like it a little better than the 84 one in addition to some other things. And Just a little bit? I, yeah, just just a little. <laughs> I, I think the thing with the 84, like you're saying, they, with the Baron in that movie, they really play up just like how like horrible – and and like the unspeakable things that he does, the fact that he's he's basically an animal um, versus in this, they go for more of uh, the the more understated, like corrupt politician, like the mm-hmm. the the moves behind the moves kind of guy um, who's who's got puppets in, in everybody's house and who's controlling things from so far, so far behind the scenes that. He's outside of the building. <laughs> yeah, we he you almost get the sense that um, he he's a person who has so much control over every aspect of his life and over everything around him that the indulgence that he has in his uh, grotesque consumption of food is is like the outlet of he you know he's he's so much a rigid character that's so focused on on all these machinations and. This is his one. This is his one vice that he indulges in, and that's why he has indulged so much that he needs a floaty suit in order to be able to even move around. And they they pull out that grotesquerie with startling uh, degrees of realism. Yeah, it's much more understated the grotesquerie, yeah. which is yeah. it, it the oil bath kind cuts of cuts away oh. cuts away from the campiness of the 80, 80 no, movie. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, only other thing I wanted to add, I mean, minor thing. Um, Hans Zimmer's always a win. I thought he did a very good job with the score. Thought it complemented the film very well. I mean, he's great, but is he Toto? Yes. That's what I said. Yes, that's right. 
the Toto. I, I, I will go on record now saying that Toto's soundtrack for the 84 film is the best part of that movie. If you like guitar riffs and synthesized orchestras, go and listen to the Toto soundtrack. Oh no, I think it's me. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that it's uh, great. What does make sense to me is why they would even bother to get Sting for the movie if they're not going to have him sing some song. I still, I'm still mad that he didn't sing his song Desert Rose on the desert planet of Arrakis. <laughs> A lost opportunity. To be opportunity sure. wasted. <laughs> uh, I still can't get past that one. That's like, all right, yeah, I get it. I get the weird, the trippy visuals. That's with the style. All right, maybe I get Toto. It's like the, the futuristic thing. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, who? Who's coming out of the pod? <laughs> Oh. I think if we were to go into things I didn't like, when, as far as the film, I can't think of really much at all. I thought it was very all well told, all that, very exciting. The only thing is, not only is there not a part two yet, I mean, it's like it hasn't even been announced. It's I can't think of a single time this has happened. With I mean, I can think of plenty of films that have multiple parts to them. I can't think of a single time where a film has been released and they have not even started working on the second one yet. And there's been no official announcement of a second one for something on this scale in like a long time. Hmm. So, this has had so much hype. It, what is it? If half of these, I say half of these is like, oh, well, what movies you're talking about? I don't know. You can think off the top of your head, like a ton of movies that didn't deserve sequels that hmm. got them in like, I don't know, the past 10 years. If this doesn't get one, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send a very strongly worded letter to uh, what is it uh, Warner Brothers? Uh, but yeah, I I don't think there's I don't think there's a world where there is not a Dune Part Two. And if, I'd be hmm. yeah, I'd be extremely shocked if it At doesn't least. happen. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, who knows? They might even do you know Dune Messiah, and they might do others. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. But um, just since. I'm definitely more of a pessimist than an optimist, unfortunately. So I'm just going back to thinking that, you know, if it doesn't happen, would I even go back and revisit this knowing that – because it is very – it does very much have an abrupt ending. It is very much a this is definitely a part one and this is not the end of the story. Um, So – Oh, yeah. From the start, you get that feeling even though – I mean, yeah, it says Dune part one. But even then, it's like – midway through the movie it's like you're 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 watching the opening the opening scene it's like you could have the breakfast scene and then do a quick cut to them landing on arrakis and then do one dream thing and then show the harkonnens blowing everything up and then do the rest of the film or do the rest of the book in the film and it would have been it would have been passable but you you, know. you just described the screenplay for the 84 dune exactly that's what happens is <laughs> the there's there's about 20 minutes that's the 20 minutes at the beginning of the book and then basically a glorified music video which is a montage of all of the events of his life up until the end and then the big battle and then you're done and you're like was was i on drugs <laughs> the answer is yes the answer is yes <laughs> so several people were on drugs in the making of that I'm sure on some sort of spice. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that spice is, metal. It's, it's 
Spice, spice is fascinating. We, can we talk about the, the, the world building? This can we talk about the spice? I've been wanting to talk about the spice for a long time. <laughs> I, mean, I, I very much enjoy the world building of Dune. Um, the fact that here is this here is this world where really the entirety of the universe revolves around this one planet and the fact that it's the only source of the magic substance that can do all of the cool things. And yet that place where you get it from is a place that nobody wants to be on. No, nobody, nobody wants to be on Arrakis, except for the people who are on Arrakis their entire lives and don't know of anything better. And even they probably don't want to actually be there. They just don't know. They can't imagine anything better than where they are. Well, I thought the only people who don't want to be there is just the House of Trades, because the other guys like Selen Skarsgård and all, they actually do want to be there, right? To get all of the uh, spice, or is that not the case? Well, they don't want to... well they want the spice, but they don't yeah, want yeah. the world yeah. and the people with it. They, they don't. They don't want to be on Arrakis. They want to own Arrakis. Gotcha. And, and all the the wealth that you get from owning it. They don't I see. want to be there themselves. That, like, that's I why the Baron that. sends his nephew to go rule Arrakis yep. in his stead. He's like, I, I don't want to be there. Yep. Have you seen my head? It would burn so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know with the with the the paleness of Dave Batista. I, I I think he might sunburn. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not true to real life. <laughs> oh, was, that really was an incredibly off-putting thing. It's like you know. I, I know I've said off-putting about the Harkonnens a lot, but it's like, you know, just, it's like Dave Bautista, a, a very non-white individual. <laughs> just completely, full-on, no eyebrows, alb al suffering from albinism. It's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the spice is a really cool concept. Mm -hmm. um you you can definitely see i i will say i will i will bring in that that age-old gripe you can see why some people would claim that star wars is ripped off of dune um in the 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 way that you have this sort of mystic ability that some can you know everyone uses the spice but only some people can use it to see the future um and it kind of parallels how how the force is uh, in Star Wars. Uh, well, I don't, I don't want to go into that. But the the spice is why actually is why I classify Dune as science fantasy um, because in fantasy, at some point, whether it's a major thing or down to the minutest detail, you have something that's rooted in like magic or a supernatural concept. And so a spice um, and and. I guess it's spoilers for part two, so I won't go into where the spice comes from. But the 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 very existence of the spice is a very fantasy uh, concept, in my opinion, that is applied in a science fiction setting. Um, just because of the mechanic of how it works, it's like it's very much like the minuteness of it, but it's still a, a very fantasy rooted mm. concept. I think. Yeah, like Frank Herbert Tech took. I want magic spice that has these properties, and then I'm going to sci-fi out how that works in the universe as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Say, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. But no, I was just going to say. Yeah, I think that's exactly what he did. And I think that I think it works really well. But yeah, I think he's. It is a magic spice initially. Mm. 
so Sam, would you classify Star Wars then as science fantasy? I so so Star Wars I do also classify. It's not to not go wildly off topic, but to answer your question, um, the thing about Star Wars is that it doesn't meet the criteria for like hard science fiction, and anything that isn't hard science fiction is probably science fantasy if you want to accept that as a as a genre um you know like star trek or stargate or um whatever your go-to farscape your Mm -hmm. your battlestar galactica pick your poison of science fiction uh hard science fiction um and and even farscape i would say science fantasy um anything with jim henson creature puppets probably science fantasy (laughs) um but uh the fact that it's rooted in a in a supernatural or mystic magic concept um lends it towards the storytelling and world building of a fantasy property rather than the like careful methodic construction of a science fiction world you know like in star trek basically everything can be explained it might not be explained with real science but it has a logical consistency within it you know the way that warp drives work the way that transporters work Mm -hmm. the way that um phaser arrays work versus in star wars the force is a mysterious power that binds us all together you know it's it's and it's got like a spiritual connection kind of like how what is right the the fremen and all view the spice as compared i yeah i like that it's like it's almost like smashing the the science fantasy and the hard science fiction together with the even the concept of like i I really like the fact that i mean nothing's going to top the 84 visualization of the shields (laughs) but i i really do like how this the technology of this world well beyond arrakis mind you in a way has evolved so much that it's it's a new scale of warfare it's like we've gone back to blades because the shields are so good guns don't work and like because you're back to blades like these this more fantasy like society the fremen kind of have an advantage over like the this the science fiction society of the i guess was what's the good term for it the imperium Mm -hmm. that's that's more warhammer but you know but yeah have the advantage over that and i do feel like overall dune is more science fantasy just because it seems a lot of the people, even the ones in like the the militaristic, like futuristic technology empire, have an almost reverence to the spice. Well, except for the Baron, who's just like, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and sell our profits and make sure you don't sell it too quickly. But there's almost like a ah yes, the spice. It, and I think that reverence is kind of that's one of the one of the good things about the '84 movie and its kooky you know kind of hokiness it's like it actually kind of captured the i guess the awe the people have of the spice i mean and it, again it's like with the weird inner monologue thing but it yeah i think it captured that pretty well go ahead i would i would absolutely agree with that it, it leans very heavily into the mysticism of it which was popular at the time it was you know absolutely like the contemporary films for the 84 dune are like the Beastmaster and like conan and masters of the universe mm-hmm. like it leans very heavily into that sort of like mystic fantasy uh, and and it it does capture it well 
um it's just a poor execute it's it's a poor execution but a good thing done within that poor execution mm, for sure interesting but but the interesting thing and actually i i i was just thinking about this the i i herbert this was actually the issue that herbert ran into when trying to publish dune was that when he went around with this manuscript for dune all of the science fiction magazines basically told him that science fiction fans didn't want to read that much like <laughs> science fiction is short stories and short stories only that's what science fiction audiences want to read and so Dang, he, frank did you really expect me to read all that exactly and so he shopped that script around uh for 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 a long time until he found someone who was willing to publish it and if i remember correctly i, think I read somewhere it was actually published by a company that actually produced technical manuals <laughs> wow <laughs> because they were, they were willing to take the risk on it when when established science fiction magazines just said no they weren't going to touch it because it it was it was a fantasy novel with science fiction concepts yeah Man, uh, so we actually should probably be uh, doing our final reviews and wrapping up. But just to go back to what you no, were saying originally, no. Sam, I want more. Um, just uh, just to make sure. So the main difference between science fiction and science fantasy, what you're saying, is a mystical element at the center of that world. I, that's how I that's how I I make that delineation. I don't know if other people find that helpful. Maybe that muddies the water. Maybe that's me being really pretentious. Um, <laughs> But it helps me kind of divide things up. You know, if someone if I'm going to recommend a movie to you and I know that you like science fiction, but you don't really like fantasy, I might shy away from some of the properties that um, embody that sort of more fantasy elements than science fiction elements. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I I feel like if you show a a, a true blue, uh, what is it? True blue nerd, like one of the four of us, it's like, you know, star trek versus dune it's like there's a different feel that mm-hmm. i feel like well i feel like even if you're not an artist like there's a different feel you could probably pick up yeah i definitely i i definitely am the kind of person where i have enjoyed star wars and now dune a lot more than i enjoyed star trek and they definitely have a feel like star wars and dune obviously like the the very different tone. One of them is a lot more bleak than the other, but they they no. do have that same kind of mystical, mystical, magical feel about how the world works. That is different from how the or the Star Trek world works, for example. For yeah, for the, at its core, a fantasy novel is is just an elaborate fairy tale, and I think that's what makes them so accessible. Is that we all grew up with you know whatever culture you grew up in wherever whatever country you know you you had your traditional fairy tales your fairy stories your um you know your your concepts that are yeah your fables things that are rooted in in just a just a suspension of disbelief you know if you accept this then here is a story that goes with that acceptance versus uh, i think why like like you like to speak to what Joe is saying, why a lot of people find science fiction a little bit harder to swallow uh, is because it's, it's very rigid. It's very explained. Um, and it, and it requires you to sort of like think through it. Um, yeah. And it's not as, it's not as a relaxing uh, an, a style of entertainment for sure. I, I think that's, I think there is a, there is a natural instinct that we have when we're kids to where the, 
the language of dream reality where like obviously if you take the spice that allows that expands your mind it allows you to see into the future because <laughs> that just kind of makes sense in, a, in an abstract not rational way and that is the kind that we all have that as kids and that we hold on to that as adults whereas learning the rational very grounded very scientific way of thinking about things is first of all uh culture is a very new thing like that's a very that's a very recent thing in human history and also is a thing that every person has to individually learn and i think that might be why where i think that's i think that is where that line is drawn i think that's where that it's is it is it the dreamlike reality where things make sense because of association because of because of just implicit association or is it the grounded reality where everything is scientifically explained in rational terms and and that's ultimately the unforgivable thing about the 84 movie you know if you can accept that it's a work of its time um it's still it's a very dispassionate science fiction heavy take you know the the hmm. spice um is is retcon that allows the guild navigators to bend space like warp drive not allows them to see them into the future see into the future uh, the voice is actually a piece of hardware that anyone can use. It's not a, a special skill or a, a, a mystical ability that is that is passed down and kept secret by the Bene Gesserit. Uh, it, it takes all of the fantasy elements that make Dune such a beloved story, um, and it and explains them away in a very science fiction way that just doesn't. It has no respect ultimately for the source material, which is where that movie ultimately is the biggest disappointment. Yeah. And I think that just goes back to with David Lynch, while he made a film called Dune and mm -hmm. he had elements from Dune, he didn't get Dune. He didn't get the heart of Dune, which is, I think, the big difference between his film and Villeneuve's film. I feel like he got cliff notes, saw that it said science fiction. And he's like, oh, yeah, the voice. Uh, so that's that's weird. That's like a cool power. What kind of technology does that instead of, you know, going deeper? Mm -hmm. And, well, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, what is it? Again, I know, Sam, you're not the only one who's ever read Dune in this, but it's like for for the for the folks for the folks who did. I've, I've already forgotten who did. Joe, did you? Yes, I read. Okay, that. Joe and Sam. Sorry, I completely forgot. Uh, I saw a thing. Like, I don't know a mention that the voice is very different in the books in terms of how it's portrayed it's like it does the same thing it like forces the will or whatever of a, of a person to do what you want and they don't even realize it that sort of thing but i i saw that the how the voice is presented in the 2021 film is actually aesthetically which is funny when you're describing sound i guess aesthetically similar to the 84 one which is very different from how the book is is that is that true um, it's, it's not, there are some things that don't convert from text to film easily. Um, and so I think making the stylistic choice to, um, make someone using the voice have an audibly different, 
like an audible distinction from regular speaking is kind of a, a necessary sin on the behalf of the medium. Hmm. Uh, because in a, in the book, you can say, you know, you know, while the character, you know, after the command is given, you can say that without even knowing uh, it was halfway through making the action before he realized that he was doing something he didn't want to do. And you can explain that because it doesn't ruin the pacing of the story in a movie. You can't do that without uh, some kind of interruptive, uh, you know, a subtitle, a VO, uh, you know, whatever terrible, atrocious method we use to perform exposition in film. Um, and so you just have to you just have to accept that changes must be made in order to indicate that something different is happening. Yeah, oh, I, I, gotcha, gotcha. I, I agree with that. Yep. And yeah. the change. Well, oh, oh, sorry, Jack. Go on. No, you're good. I'm just saying. Yeah, whatever you're going to add, then we we got to wrap this up. We're going over by like a lot. <laughs> like I said, more, more. I got to say. We, I, yeah, we, I think we could talk about this for another hour easy. If may, we wanted. Maybe a Dune Part One, Part Two. Oh, I mean, never heard that one before. <laughs> I like it. Bonus episode. Okay, uh, real quick, the rest of the superstars. Uh, visual effects team, amazing. Uh, very good. Very good. Uh, what is it? just what was what was computer made you couldn't tell because it was so well done and so well integrated lighting team wonderful again that's very much in part due to the director but still and costumes oh, amazing yeah. Absolutely. Um, amazing if there are not awards handed out for them and you know again another strongly worded re uh, letter and maybe a few uh, you know mostly Mostly uh, peaceful riots. Uh, anyway, or just use the voice on them. Listen, if, oh, yeah. if the first Suicide Squad can receive an Academy Award for costume design, surely, surely, <laughs> Dune literally can also. one costume, only one. That's <laughs> I, I can't. I still can't believe that. It makes me ugh. surely Dune can re can at least be nominated. They surely. absolutely. Capture I don't know if wiser the... words have ever been said. <laughs> Oh, and one more technical superstar, editors. Uh, what is it? Again, mostly director stuff. I like the fact that it's like whenever Paul's compelled by the voice, it's like very choppily cut. And then, of course, the long, uh, what is it? I was going to say the long. The fact that it's a very long movie, but the pacing is, you, you barely notice it. You barely notice it. Like by the time you're halfway through, it's like, oh man, what happened? Because it's edited very well, paced very well. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes, that kind of goes all the way back to the top. But again, technical prowess through the roof. Very nice. Yeah. Well, Sam, since you are our guest slash local expert, I'm going to give you the honor of giving your review first. We usually do like a 10 star scale. Um, some of us have different letters we use for our scales, but just to make things simple, we're using a 10 star scale for this. So a, a 10 um, star scale for 10 point. Yeah. 10 point. Whatever. Oh, Stars man. are better. That's a, that's, Hmm. I'll, I'll tell you what, with, with the understanding that there, there has got to be at least a part two, um, to, to complete the story and assuming that it's, I'll, I'll be optimistic for once um, that it's going to be as good and it's going to tie up the story um, in, in the, in the same way that this one introduced it. I'm, I'm going to give this uh, 10 sandworms out of 10. Um, 
I, I'm ready. I am ready to see more. This movie made me want it. I, it made me the excitement of watching this movie made me rewatch the 1984 Dune. It makes me want to reread the books. It makes me want to uh, explore this world more. It even made me watch the documentary about uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which was going to be terrible, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, it's an it's a very interesting documentary sidebar uh don't necessarily recommend it but it's definitely interesting if you watch it um this but this movie this was this was it was epic uh it was dramatic it was faithful uh to to the source material it was absolutely everything i wanted to see so yes 10 10 sandworms slash chris knives out of 10 (laughs) how about you joe I would say there, there are a couple little nitpicky things. Um, some of them that I brought up here, and there's a couple others. Um, so I can't quite give it a perfect 10 out of 10, but I would. It's definitely 9.5 out of 10. It's it was very good. I very much enjoyed it. And same same was with Sam. I want to go. It made me want to go and read. Want, want to go and now read all the books in the series. So and again, assuming that we get a part two because it is an unfinished story. But assuming right. we get a part two, 9.5 out of 10. Yeah, for me, um, with there not being a part two, I'd probably just, uh, at this point in time, probably just give, since nothing's been officially announced, I'm just giving it a nine because I thought it was great, but it is an incomplete story. If there is, I mean, just like if Fellowship of the Ring just was just that and they hadn't made Two Towers in Return, it probably would be like a nine as well. Um, but yeah, if they do make a part two and complete the story, I could easily see it being a 10 uh, on for both of them and being one of the best uh, sci-fi or science fantasy odysseys of the of this decade. So uh, I'm definitely very excited to hopefully see a part two and it definitely makes me uh, very happy that I picked up the audiobook and gotten the book uh, or borrowed the book. So I can knock those out and uh, hopefully knock out at least that original trilogy. So very excited to step into that world after seeing this film. And how about you, Joseph? Mm. Well, again, as this, as the true, the first true outing into, into Dune, as in like a, a very, a very more accurate look. Again, I gotta say, loved it. It was very, very good. I eagerly await a part two. Again, I'm, I, again, I'm, you could, my middle name could be cautiously optimistic. No, no, I'm full on optimistic this time. It's like, I'm very much expecting this story to get wrapped up, but as it stands, it is, it, it stands on its own. It stands on its own, on its own as a technical powerhouse, as a, as a very well told story with, a very, very good cast. So that's a that's a nine out of ten for me. I don't have a creative thing, unfortunately. Unlike unlike Sam, I, I guess nine poison molars out of ten. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All righty. Well, Sam, thanks so much again for hopping on. Uh, yeah, thanks, Sam. Absolutely. Thank it. you for having me. Absolutely. It's been a blast. And- yeah, well, um, this has been the background podcast where uh, if you're listening, we appreciate you. And if not, it's okay because you aren't missing anything. So uh, next week, I believe we're going to be capping off our Spooky Month Jamboree with a watch of The Thing. Is that right, guys? I think that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, Fantastic. Sam, I'm the only one who's seen The Thing amongst the three of us. 
Hey. I think we all know what we all kind of know what happens in it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's it's not about the destination, man. It's about the journey. Uh, well, and we'll, boy, we'll is it a journey. We'll, we'll get to experience that next week. Alrighty then. Well, then we will uh, see you all next week. See ya. Where's the spice? The spice, my lord. The spice must flow. Oh. Desert power. Ooh. <laughs>